All right. Good morning. Um, just as Austin just said, uh, my name's Jackson. Um, Pastor Frank, if this is your first time here, he is actually not here. Um, he is spending Thanksgiving with his family in Louisiana. Um, and lucky them, they went to the LSU game last night, and that was a 730 game, so they couldn't quite make it back in time. Um, so he asked if I would um, speak today, and I said, yeah, of course, sure. So my name's Jackson, just like I said. I'll give you a little bit of background about myself if uh, I'm looking out and some, seeing some new faces. Um, I've spoken here a couple times. Um, I play drums, obviously. Um, I also um, am a teacher at Woodland Middle School. I teach sixth grade social studies there. Um, so that's something. This is my first year. I just graduated from Kennesaw State. Um, so I have a lot of experience talking. It's just usually in front of sixth graders who are this big. Um, so it's a little different here, but uh, it's still kind of the same thing. So I just want to say thank you for being here. Um, you know, you could have spent Thanksgiving anywhere else. Um, you could have spent it with your family out of state. You could have just said, you know what, we've been going all Thanksgiving. You know, this is the last day um, before we have to go back. You know, I've had this whole week off and I'm just, you know, like, ah, oh, I got to go back. I just want to lay in bed all day. Um, but you chose to be here and that's awesome. And I really think that God will bless that. And I really think that um, you came here for a purpose. You came here for a reason. There is something here. There is something going on today that God said, hey, you need to be here for this. Um, and I truly believe that, that you'll be rewarded for that. Um, so in this, sort of, um, in this sort of spirit of thanksgiving, right, um, Pastor Frank, when he asked me to speak, he didn't give me like a topic or anything like that, um, which is dangerous when he does that um, because I could go anywhere. Um, but I'm glad that he trusts me enough. Um, but in the spirit of thanksgiving, I was like, well, this is tailor-made for a thanksgiving message, right? Or maybe, you know, an intro to a Christmas message. And I was thinking, and I was preparing, and I was like, well, you know, I could do that. And that's what people would expect me to do. So I can't do that. So instead, I'm going to go somewhere totally different, right? So I just couldn't come up with a good Thanksgiving message. I couldn't come up with anything like that. I was like, God is just, I got to go somewhere else with this, right? And I'm just going to be upfront and honest with you. Um, this sermon, this, this message that I've prepared is something that I'm actually very nervous to share. Um, not because I'm nervous about being up here or not because, you know, I know that it's not what God wants me to give to you, but it's because of that reason. Um, the fact that this is what God was telling me to give you, and it's something that he's been giving me. Um, I'm 100% real. I want to give you guys exactly what I'm feeling. And what I'm about to share with you is something that God's been doing in me for the past few weeks and the past couple months. It's something that he's revealed to me. It's something that he has shown me. And I really feel like, hey, if I'm, if I'm going through this, I know there are other people that are going through this as well. Um, and it's something that might make you a little uncomfortable, but that's good. Um, the only time you can do something great, the only time that God can really shine is when you're uncomfortable. Get out of that comfort zone. Um, so, so that's normal. That's okay. All right. So I don't want you to think that I'm up here trying to make you feel uncomfortable. In a way, I am. But only because I know that in order to do something that God wants you to do, you got to get a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. Um, so that's kind of where we're going today. All right. And... Um, I want to start with a, um, I just got to tell a story about this sweater um, because it was so funny. I wore this sweater um, and a lot of people are like, you're not paying any attention to what I'm saying. You're just figuring out what the heck is up with this sweater. Um, I actually bought it at Goodwill like four years ago for like $4. So I was like, you can't pass that up, right? Even if I only wear it once. Um, but I actually wore it to school um, to teach. Uh, I think it was either like Thursday or Friday of last week before we left. And this little girl, the sixth grader comes up to me. She goes, Mr. Grant, you know, you're one of my favorite teachers and I really like you a lot, but 
that sweater just makes it scream like you're from the 90s. I was like, well, how old do you think I am? Because, you know, I am born in the 90s. So it, it was just, she's like, I just, you know, you look, you look fine. And, you know, it's just that sweater just doesn't do it for me. I'm like, well, whatever. <laughs> it happens. Um, but anyway, I just, I love this sweater for that. It's a good conversation piece. It's a good, like, icebreaker, right? Plus, it's cold in here. My, I think my toes are numb. Um, but anyway, let me, let me tell you a little bit. I also wore the fuzzy socks because my toes are numb. Um, but let me, let me just tell you a little bit as we get into this, a little more background about me. Um, I came from a very different background than a lot of you. Um, some of you, just that I've gotten to know you, um, I, you kind of come from the same cloth that I was made out of. But most people don't, right? Um, growing up, I grew up in church. Um, I grew up in um, a very prominent, large Baptist church, um, very traditional, sort of. Um, and that's not something that I really molded into quite fit into that mold. Um, I grew up listening to kind of this, this, um, this metal, screaming, hardcore type of music. Um, that's what I grew up with. Um, that's where my passion was. I played drums in like a, a metal like band. We weren't really a band, um, but we played music together. Um, I grew up doing that. That was my passion. That's what I listened to. And if you hear me driving anywhere down the road and you hear screaming coming from a car, it's mine. I promise. I still listen to that today. Um, and it's still, it's still, I don't know. Um, my, my older step or my younger stepsister, um, she, she comes home every Christmas and she ends up, you know, always riding with me. And she goes, you haven't grown out of that yet. You're still listening to that. I'm like, no, I'm going to be listening to that to the rest of my life. Thank you. I'm going to show my kids. My kids are going to grow up listening to that music too. Um, but that's where I grew up. All right. That, that was my style. That was my culture. Um, and I realized too, that there are actually contrary to what people think and differently than what people would think as well is there's actually Christian hardcore and metal bands. Right. And then it sounds funny because it's like, well, you can't understand what they're saying. How can you worship to that? And it takes a certain type of person to worship to metal music. I'm not going to lie to you. It does. It's not for everyone. I get that. I'm not trying to push it on you, although you should. I'm not going to push it on you. Um, but what it does, and what I think is so cool about it, is it's like, hey, how can you worship when you have all of those loud guitars and the drums and the screaming? And what it does is it shows you a side of Christianity that modern worship won't give you. It shows you almost this kind of, um, this darker image of Christianity, which we need, right? Um, we need to see, hey, Christianity isn't all uh, roses. Christianity isn't all rainbows. It's not all, you know, about good things. Sometimes, sometimes life kind of sucks, right? Sometimes God does some things and you just don't really understand it. And what I love about that type of music is that it brings to light this sort of image of a darker side of Christianity that people need to see. Because when you're going through something like that, and you listen to some of these worship songs that are just all bright and happy, and you're like, that's not me. That's not my life right now. So it's good to see that sort of, that there's this, this sort of vein of music that's for people like that. And that's something that I'm really drawn to. Um, like I said, I've listened to it my whole life. Um, and I've kind of drawn myself to that style of culture as well. Um, I, go to, I still go to like metal concerts, metal shows all the time, people jumping up and down. And, you know, I, I love it. Um, it's, it's just something that I really enjoy. Um, but there's this band that I've been listening to for a long, long time um, since, you know, gosh, since I started listening to, the, to this type of music. 
Um, and there's something that I've kind of followed their career all the way through, and it's weird, you know, they're like 40 now, and they're still like playing this kind of music, but it's still cool. Um, but there's this band, um, and they actually had this, these sort of Christian lyrics from the very beginning, but about five years ago, they put out an album that absolutely blew my mind, right? And the name of the album was 818, all right? It was just 818, that's all it was. There was no, see, I, ha- I even gave you a little bit of a hint. I said Romans 818, but there was, no, there was no description. The title of the album was just like a black, like album cover with 818 on it. And I was like, huh, that's really interesting. I wonder what that could be about. So I started listening. I started listening to the songs. I started, you know, reading the lyrics, trying to figure out what it was all about. And I was like, I just, you know, I don't really get it. What is 818? Is it a time? Like, I just, I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. I tried to listen before I started Googling it and figuring out, you know, what exactly it makes. I wanted to figure it out by myself. Um, But here's what I really figured out what this was talking about. All right. I'm going to read you a little bit of the lyrics from one of the songs. Um, The song is actually 818. That's the name of the song as well. And I want to just read you these lyrics. I don't have them on the screen because, and I'm not going to play the song for you because you might run and then you'll go back and tell Pastor Frank that I played it and then he'll never let me do anything again. Um, But I do want to read you the lyrics because when you hear them, they're, they're important. They resonate. All right. It says, they ask why we suffer. Oh God, please answer. Your rivers run and your mountains peak. We remain scared. It's so abrupt, this life designed for us. Reach out in fear, but we'll pray forever. I know you're there. So when you read that, it kind of sounds like this darker image of Christianity, right? It's saying, hey, this life is so abrupt and it's designed for us. So it's essentially saying, God, you designed this life for us, but it's abrupt. Like, why? What's the point? Why did you do that? And then it says, but I know your rivers run and your mountains peak. I know you're there. I'll pray forever. But it's this darker image, right? But when you finally understand, when you finally understand what this is talking about and what 818 actually means, it makes it a lot prettier of a picture. If you read Romans 818, because finally I had to just Google, hey, what the heck is 818 all about? And I saw an interview on YouTube with the guy who writes all the lyrics from the band, um, uh, he said that, hey, it's from this whole thing is from this verse in Romans 8.18. And I think we actually have that. Um, so Romans 8.18 says, I consider that our present, yeah, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So if you take that verse and you go back and look at the lyrics through this lens, it paints a much prettier picture. It says, hey, God, I know that this life is abrupt, but it's suffering." right? This life is suffering. That's what it is. We know that this life that you've given us is suffering. That's why it's abrupt. But we know as long as we persevere, as long as we pray, as long as we know you're there, look at the glory that will be revealed in us. This can't even compare for what you've done for us, right? It can't even compare the plan that you've given us. So I think that's such a beautiful picture, right? And it's so cool to see the inner workings of how all of this album and this song and these lyrics came together. And I think that's what's so cool about um, this style of music, right? And that's what draws me to it so much. It's provocative. It makes you think, right? So what I want to do today is I want to talk about why do we suffer, right? That was, that was the, one of the first lines of this song. It says, they ask why we suffer. Oh God, please answer. Why do we suffer? If God has this life that's designed for us, why do we suffer, right? What's the point? And I think a lot of times 
we get in our own way of that, right? We can be honest with ourselves. We get in our own way. It says in 8.18, we just read it, that the, that the glory that he has, the plan he has for us can't even compare to our suffering. But why do we suffer? We get in our own way a lot. I think that's the problem, is God has this plan that's designed for us, but we don't touch that. We say, no, probably not. I don't think that's it. I don't think so. And we continue this continual cycle of suffering. So what I want to talk about is there's a, a passage that I think really sort of, um, that really embodies that. And we'll get into that in a second. Um, we're going to be in Luke 14, if you want to go ahead and get that ready. Um, but I think before we do that, I want to talk real quick. And this is something that might make you uncomfortable. And if it does, I'm sorry, but it's good. You need to, because I was uncomfortable when I heard this, when God was telling this to me is that a lot of us in here, the reason why we suffer is because we're conditional Christians, right? Our yes is conditional. God says, hey, will you follow me? And you say, yes, but as long as it doesn't take me where I don't wanna go. We say, yeah, sure, God, we'll follow you, of course. What a dumb question, I would love to. But then when he says, okay, so if you wanna follow me, I'm gonna need to do this. And we're like, whoa, I didn't sign up for all that. I just said, yeah, I'll follow you. I didn't say I'd do this, right? Our yes is conditional. And what's interesting about this is I think Jesus really talked about this all throughout the Bible. Um, if you look, Jesus did some weird things throughout the Bible, right? He's, I mean, if you're trying to grow your ministry, Jesus seemed counterproductive to that his whole time he was ministering. If you read, you know, um, Pastor Frank has all these pastor books. I've read some pastor books as well, how to grow ministry. And all of them will say, hey, you need to be accessible to people. You need to be relatable to people. You don't need to freak people out, right? But if you look at the Bible, Jesus freaks people out all the time. What did he say? He said, hey, you need to, uh, uh, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, right? That was the last supper. Who says that? If you're trying to grow your ministry, why would you say that? Only, clearly only 12 people followed him too, right? What if Pastor Frank got up here and he was like, all right, we're gonna have church and then after we're gonna eat my flesh and drink my blood. Ever, everybody be out that door real quick, right? And then, you know, Jesus does some odd stuff. Um, there was a, there's a passage in Mark um, where Jesus is marching into this city and, he see, and he's hungry, so he sees a fig tree. And he goes up to it, and this fig tree, it's not in season for figs, and he like curses at this fig tree for not having figs on it. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? And then in the next, the very next, um, either before or after that, they go into the city, you know, where Jesus rides in through the city on his donkey and stuff. Well, a lot of people skip over this. He actually stole that donkey from this person. He told his disciples, hey, go take that donkey. And if they ask, just say, Jesus needs it. Okay, he does some weird stuff, man. And the reason why is, we try to make excuses for Jesus, which I think is interesting that like Jesus needs excuses. Um, we say, well, what he meant was this, or this is just a metaphor for what he actually meant, or he didn't really mean that when he said it. But I think he's the, he's the son of God. He said what he wanted to say. We don't need to make excuses for him. I think the point was he tried to confuse people. He tried to make people get uncomfortable, right? Because the whole point is he wanted to say, hey, yeah, you would follow me, but would you follow me even when it gets weird? Would you follow me even after I asked you to go steal a donkey for me? 
would you follow me when you see me over here having a conversation with a fig tree? Is that something that you would do or is your yes conditional? Because when he calls us to do stuff and you say, no, that, that's not right. That's not for me. I don't think so. He says, you know what? I'll follow you, God, I, I, Jesus. I wanna do your work, but as long as it doesn't make me look weird, as long as, you know, I don't have to, I don't know, as long as I don't have to listen to the screaming music, as long as I don't have to crowd surf in church, as long as I don't have to, you know, I don't know, get up and talk in front of people, right? But yeah, I'll follow you whatever you want, except for this little bit. I'm not gonna do that. Well, can I tell you something? That little bit that you don't wanna do is exactly probably what God's gonna call you to do because he wants you to get out of that zone. He says, look, I have this stuff for you, but you gotta be willing to do it. But you're, and a lot of us as Christians, as the church, we're saying, well, I'll follow you as long as, you know, I don't have to raise my hands in church or as long as I don't have to jump around when we're singing or, you know, anything that makes me look weird. Your yes is conditional. And that's where the biggest reason why we get in our own way is because when God asks us to do something, we say no. We say, I'm not about that, right? I'm not about that life, God, sorry. I agreed, but what I really meant was, I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna do what I want. And the last thing that this world needs, if you've watched any of the news recently or anything like that, the last thing this world needs is more conditional Christians. We don't need it. Um, so it's time, get out of that comfort zone, all right? And this passage I'm about to show you is exactly what happens when you miss that call. Because God calls every one of us to something. That's the glory that God reveals to us in that Romans 8.18, right? He says, your present suffering doesn't compare to the glory that he has for you. Well, you're gonna suffer until you answer that call. God has glory for you, but you have to accept it and you have to act on it. You have to do it. It's not just gonna come. You've got to do something about it, right? And this next little bit of scripture that we're going to read, I think illustrates that perfectly. Um, so we're going to be in Luke 14, um, 16 through 23. So this is about a story of a group of people who missed out on the glory of God's plan because they got in their own way, all right? So I'm going to go ahead and read you all of it, and then we'll go back and pick out little bits of stuff. So 16 through 23, it says, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still, another said, I just got married so I can't come. That's a pretty valid excuse, right? I'm about to get married. That's a valid excuse, just so you guys know. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. So we're going to go back to the very beginning, Luke 14, 16, and 17. And the first thing that we're going to pull out is, you can, you can leave it right there on 16 because that's, that's what's important. It says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Actually, you know what? I lied. Go to the second one. Sorry. 17. There we go. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. 
So I think the first important thing to pull out here is it says, at the time of the banquet, he sent to tell his servant those who invited. He sent them at the time that it was happening. He didn't say, hey, in three months, we're gonna have this banquet, come then. He didn't say, hey, uh, we're preparing this dinner, it'll be ready in about two hours, then come. No, he sent them at that time. He said, hey, it's time, let's go, right? He said, now is time, drop everything you're doing without any advance notice and, and come on, let's go. And that's a lot of how God operates most of the time. God doesn't say, hey, I'm gonna call you to overseas missions in six months, so go ahead and you know, start sending email blasts out for support, go ahead and start building stuff up, go ahead and start getting everything ready. No, he says, hey, it's time, let's go, right now. There's countless stories of people who, if you followed exactly what God said, even though it sounds crazy, they, it, they made a way because it was God's plan. If it's truly what God wants you to do, he's not gonna let you fail right? It's his plan. It's what he wants for you. Now, that's not to say, hey, I'm going to do what I want because I think God's calling me to this. And then it fails. And you say, well, what the heck, God? That's what you wanted to do. There's a difference. There's a fine line between what you want and what God calls you to do. Because let me just tell you, most of the time, God doesn't call you to something you want to do. I already said that earlier, right? Um, there's a lot of things that I don't want to do that I know probably eventually God's going to call me to do. And I am just not looking forward to the day when it happens, right? But it's important and you got to act on it. You got to act on it right then. That's what's important. Um, and like I said, that's a lot how God operates. He doesn't give you advance notice, doesn't give you time. He says, hey, you signed up to follow and trust me. Now trust me, do what I asked you to do. And most of the time we miss that because we say, we, we, we make excuses and we're going to get into that. But we say, God, not right now. Now it's not a good time. Um, I got other stuff going on. I, I'm too busy to follow you right now. Um, hit me up in about two years when I get my life together, and then I can do what you want me to do. Doesn't necessarily work like that, right? There's never a good time, right? Um, you know, when, um, when Brittany and I, my fiance, when we were talking about, um, you know, well, actually, I was trying to decide myself when I was going to propose and get engaged. And I was like, well, there's really not a good time. I mean, I can do it. I, I can wait until I graduate. And then I can wait until, you know, I get a job so I have money to pay for the ring and then support her. I don't want to say, hey, can I marry you and not have a job? Because that sounds pretty lame, right? So, and I was thinking about all this stuff. When is the perfect time? Can I tell you something? There's never a perfect time. If you're looking for a perfect time, you're just going to keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off until eventually you've missed that call eventually it's too late. Um, if I kept putting off my engagement to Brittany, eventually she would say, you know what? He, he's never going to propose to me, so what's the point, right? She might have left. If you keep putting off that call of God, eventually he's going to move to somebody else. And that's what we're going to finish up in this verse. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, so let's talk about the second thing to pull out. The second thing that we're pulling out of this is look who the servant went to. It says, the servant, um, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited. So this servant is going out to people who had already been invited. So they already knew at some point this banquet was going to come. There just wasn't a time and a date and a place. But they knew that at some point there was going to be a banquet. They already had that invitation. All right. Here's the problem. This group of people, the people who had these invitations, mistakenly thought that just having the invitation would guarantee their attendance, right? It's not how it works. Um, for example, um, 
just so you guys know, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm getting married in like a month. So all I got is wedding on my brain um, because that's all we've been doing. But for example, we send out a bunch of wedding invitations to people, right? Just because they have that wedding invitation does not guarantee their attendance. That does not mean that they are coming. They have to respond to it, right? That's the point. You have to respond to the invitation. These people made that mistake. They said, hey, I have this invitation. Then yeah, I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna be there, right? Didn't happen. We see that. They started to make excuses. That's the problem. And can I tell you something that's gonna make you really uncomfortable again? That's most of us. We have the invitation that God's given us. We don't do anything with it. He's given us this invitation to follow him. He's given this invitation for us to have an awesome life. It's not about the invitation. It's about what you respond to it, right? You can sit here and say, yeah, God loves me. Uh, I know he loves me. I love him. I'm going to follow him. But that, that's great. But what are you going to do with it, right? Do you believe that he loves the people in your class? Do you believe he loves your coworkers? Do you believe he loves the homeless people outside in the street? Because let me tell you what, there is a lot of work to be done. But if you don't do anything with that invitation, you're just, you're just holding something that's empty. It doesn't mean anything until you respond to it, right? Um, if you truly believe that God, you know, can heal you from your sin and he died for you and he, you know, he can do all of this stuff for you and, the blood, and he's the blood of the lamb that cleanses your sin, washes you white, then why are you still holding on to that sin? Huh? You guys didn't hear that, did you? I didn't think so right? Why are you still holding on to this sin? If you say you follow him, why is it still there? Can I tell you that it's probably because you don't want to get rid of it secretly? God has given you this awesome, beautiful picture of what full grace and glory and perfection is like. And why do we still hang on to something that's ugly, to something that's dirty, right? We aren't accepting that invitation. That's the problem. Sometimes I think that, that Christian perspective is skewed, right? We, we say, yeah, um, we accept um, that, you know, God died for our sins, and yeah, that's it. And that's where we stop. We're going to come to church on Sunday, and we're going to, um, you know, sit in the back, we're going to jump up and down there in fast songs, and we're going to raise our hands, and then we're going to go about our life. So much more to that, guys. That is not the glory that God wants for you. There is so much more to it. But if that's all you want, and that's not accepting the invitation that he's given you, right? You have to act on it. What are you going to do with it, all right? Because um, there's work to be done. We know that. Thanksgiving, Christmas is coming up. We have all these awesome events. There's work to be done. Do something with that invitation. All right, let's go on. 14, 18 through 20. Here we go. So another said, oh, sorry. But they all alike began to make excuses. Here we go. We're pretty good at that, right? We're pretty good at making excuses in America. You say, God didn't really mean sell all your possessions, right? God didn't really mean what he said here, right? We make excuses. We're pretty good at that. All right, so they began to make excuses. They said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. So excuses, I think, are one of the biggest reasons why we get in our own way. 
Can I tell you something? The most dangerous situation that you can find yourself in is when God is ready to move and you are not. That's the most dangerous thing that can happen to you is when God is saying, hey, move. And you're saying, no, now's not a good time. That's exactly what these people did. They made excuses. We do that a lot, guys. As much as we don't want to hear it, we do that a lot. Again, we say, you know what, God, I know, I know you want me to do this, but I, I just can't right now. I've got my finances messed up. I've got relationship issues. I'm, I'm too busy to, to follow you right now, right? But the irony of that is that if we would just follow, he would fix all of those problems. We're saying, hey, God, we can't follow you because we have all these issues. But what we should be saying is, hey, God, I know if I do what you want, you'll fix all that. But we don't do that. We act backwards, we say, no, I got to fix this first before I can follow you. That's so backwards to what Christianity is. He's given, this, he's given us this invitation to heal us in this glory, but we're saying, no, we can do that ourselves, God, before we can have what you want us to do. It doesn't work. You will continue to be in this cycle forever and ever and ever until you accept the call. Until you accept that call that he has for you. It's going to continue to be a cycle. Look at these excuses real quick. I think, it's so, I, think, I think they're pretty cool. So the first one was land, right? He said that I, have, I just bought a piece of land, um, and I have to go look at it. So you bought the land without looking at it before? I'm confused. Pretty dumb excuse, right? Or I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to dry them out. I just bought a car, and I have to go test drive it. God, you're going to have to wait. Sorry. I just bought a car. And another said, I just got married, a bride. I, I, I have a new bride. I, I got to spend time with her. I just can't come. Again, that's a valid excuse, right? If anybody asks, that's a valid excuse. That's not a dumb one. Um, but I think what's so cool about this and what God has been revealing to me through this is these three excuses, they're not inherently evil things. They're not bad things. Having a bride is not a bad thing. Getting a new car is not a bad thing. Buying a piece of land is not a bad thing, right? What this shows you is that you don't have to be broken and living a life of sin to miss the call of God. You just have to be too busy to understand what he's asking you to do. These people were not living in sin. These people were not, you know, in prison, drug addicts, uh, whatever you want to call it, criminals. They were just normal people like you and me. And they missed it because they were too busy with the stuff than they were to follow God. They were too busy doing the life that they thought they should be living. And when God called them to do something else, they said, no, I'm happy with where I'm at. They made excuses. And instead, they missed that call. I think, and here's something else that's cool. Nobody will probably care about this, but I think it's so cool. So um, land, animals, and a bride— those three things, I, I wondered why, why those three things, those are weird excuses to put inside of a story, right? For Jesus to just come out of the air with this story, those are three weird things. But if you get to looking at it, these three things serve a much deeper purpose and a much deeper meaning. If you look back to Genesis in the, the beginning, Genesis 1, land, animals, and Eve, Adam's bride, was the three things that God said, hey, Adam, you are subject over. These are your, this is what you are to look over, right? God gave him these things to be watchful over. 
But in this story, it's flipped. What happened in this story is these men that were supposed to be over the, the, the land, the animals, and the bride, they actually became subject to the things that they were supposed to be subject over, right? I think that's why these three things are in there. Because it's showing you that, hey, you're not doing what God asked you to do. He gave you these three things to be over. You're making these things over you. You're letting these things rule you. You're supposed to be over them. Now, some of you are, are get, getting a little weird, all right? You're saying, what, I'm supposed to be, you know, I'm over my bride. I'm, I'm the husband. I'm supposed to, do. no, 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 no. Let's not, let's not get religious, right? You're not supposed to be over a woman. You guys are equal, but... You answer to God. Men, I, as I'm preparing for this wedding, I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to lead my family. Men, you are subject to God for your family, all right? That doesn't mean you're supposed to rule over them or anything like that. It just means if something happens to your marriage, 